You know, 10 years ago, at the very first service over the Chalksett Middle School Theater, the focus of our worship experience, in many ways the focus of our mission, was John 10.10, where Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. We began a journey 10 years ago about talking about what does it really mean to live with the spiritual abundance that God has for us. I find it quite interesting, perhaps even providential, that as we go into our second decade as a church, God has us talking about and looking into what does it take to live with the blessings of God in our lives. I think those two themes go quite well together, don't you? To live with a sense of abundance, I think by its very definition, means to live with the blessings of God. And the, the Scripture is very clear. God is eager to bless us. He's prepared every spiritual blessing for us in the heavenly places. You know, it's, it's all available to us. It's, it's a part of the heart and the passion of God to bless us to be in a position to experience those blessings, and we've talked about this over and over again in our journey together, is to to live a life where we're walking with God, to stay in a zip code, a spiritual zip code, if you will, where we can experience the blessing of God. And the Scripture talks about that as, as walking with God, living for God. And as we've begun this second 10 years together, we've been using this idea of having a compass. We don't need God's map where He tells us, okay, do this in year one and this in year two and this in year three kind of idea. Many of us would just love for God to say, here are the, here are the, you know, the 12 things I want you to do with the rest of your life, and then you can just kind of walk away and go do those things. That's not the way God operates. He says, I got a promised land for you. Just get going. I'll show you how to get there. And here's the compass. And a big part of that compass of knowing how it is that we stay in sync with God, we walk with God, we stay in this zip code where God can bless us, is the Scriptures. And over the next six weeks, we're going to spend some time looking at the Scriptures as a church. I told you before our 10th anniversary celebration, I really see this as foundational to where we're going. It's it's, it's the foundation of our next 10 years. Because it's always been our heart that in order to be the people of God on this planet and to experience the presence of God in our own lives, we have to be a people of the book. We have to know how to use the compass. And so we're going to spend these next six weeks looking at the Scriptures. And we're going to be talking about a lot of things, both in our small groups and in our Sunday morning experiences, as we talk about kind of like, where did we get the Bible come from? What's its message to us? How do we understand it? How do we apply it? How do we live it? How do, you know, those kinds of things. We're going to be talking about those things over and over again. And there's going to be three major components to what we're doing. One is our, our services on Sunday morning. Each of the messages from now until the middle of June will focus on the Scriptures, some aspect of the Scriptures every single week. If you can't be here for a Sunday, you can pick them up off of our website so you can stay in tune with us as we go forward. Second major element are the 40 days groups that we have. Out in the lobby, there's uh, several tables that are laid out. It's a place for you to be able to go each and every week to be a part of with a, a group of people who are going to welcome you, going to like you, going to love you, those kinds of things. You're going to be able to be a part of that. And there's going to be a teaching time, a video-based teaching time every week. And then there's a workbook that you can use to follow along, not only in that teaching time, but out through the course of the week. And we hope you choose to do that. And all that material is out there for you to use. The last aspect will be, beginning next week, there'll be a memory verse every week. Just a, a scripture verse for you to memorize. Now, I want you to tell you these are, these are puppy verses, all right? I mean, these are not going to be hard for you to memorize, you know? We're not going to give you some detailed thing out of Leviticus that you've got to try to memorize. These are going to be very simple verses, one kind of sentence kind of idea, and you're going to be able to master these. But it's going to be scripture memorization. And as we go through this journey, we're going to figure out why that's so important. There's also an element in there where if you want a little PS, a little extra to go with it, there is a website called 40 Days in the Word, or it's just 40, D-I-T-W, 
first letter of days, you know, days in the word.com. And you can sign up, create your own account, and they will email you a link to a daily video devotional for every four to, you know, that's only three to four to five minutes each and every day by different Bible scholars from around the country talking about the scriptures every single day. If you want a little extra food for thought, if you will, to move you along this journey, that's a little extra that you can have for no extra charge. But today, I, I really want us to start with this question of, I mean, if, when we talk about using the Bible as a compass for our lives, what we're really talking about is, is, is building our lives on the Word of God. You know, what did Jesus say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? With all this great teaching that He had given, He gets down to the end, and He said, listen, life is going to be like a storm. And you've got two options. You can either build on the rock, which is the Word, or you can build on the sand, which is everything else. And so it's very important for you and I to understand how is it that we really build on the rock, on the Word of God. And I want to talk to you about that today. What does it take for us to build our lives on the Word of God? Now, you know, I'm borrowing an idea here, and in and, and, and full disclosure, there is a series of sermons that match up with this whole study that we're doing, and I have access to those. They're going to be proclaimed all across the nation and, and so I'm going to build in pieces of that as we go along with my own individual nuances that will go with it. But it, it, it really does make sense to me that if we're building our lives on the Word, notice our lives, all of who we are on the, on, on the Word, then there's more involved, then every single part of us has to be engaged in building our lives on the Word. It's not just a mental thing. You know, it takes all of who we are, right? And so... As you look through this and you start to ask the question, what does it take for us to build our lives on the Word? It involves the way that God's wired us to grow and to respond and to understand what's around us. It involves our eyes and our ears and our mouths and our hands and, our, and all of our lives. And, and there's a great text that brings all of this out, and it's James chapter 1. And if you have your Bibles, I'd, I'd love for you to turn to James chapter 1. And in particular, this is one of those days where if you have your own Bible, it would be great. But if not, you're certainly welcome to use one of our pew Bibles. You're going to find our text today on page 1025. Now, the book of James, to the best of our understanding, was written by the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was, a, he was another son of Mary who came to have a, a leadership role in the church in Jerusalem. And he, and he wrote underneath the inspiration of God to encourage us to be people who are really living the faith, you know? And so... We get to this text, and, and there's parts of this that all of us have been to because we find great wisdom for processing individual parts of our lives. But I want you to see something as we go through this. At the beginning of this text, in verse 18, and as it concludes in verse 25, he's talking about the Word. Look at verse 18, just above our, our passage for today. By his own choice, he gave us a new birth by the Word of the truth, or by the message of the truth so that we would be the first fruits of His creation. So this, you got the idea of the word of truth is what gives us life. And he says, he says, My dearly loved brothers, understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil excess, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, and he, and he goes away, and right away he forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who acts, this person will be blessed in what he does. Now you see that theme of being blessed? 
<laughs> this person will be blessed in what he does. Now, we're, we're trying to launch the next 10 years of our church life together as people who are blessed by God. There's some things for us to see in this passage about how to do that. And you notice there's an emphasis on the word throughout this. I mean, there's great truth in here. When You know, one of the greatest things you can do as a married couple is to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. <laughs> right? I mean, I've been married 27 years. That much I know. Now, if I followed it all the time, I'd probably be in a little better shape. But in general, it's a great word for us. But outside of that, this really speaks to us in the context of what does it take for us to have the Word of God implanted within us. And there, there are several things that emerge from this text about how it is that you and I go about building our lives on the Word of God. And the very first thing is that we have to listen. We've got to hear the Word of God. Isn't that how he starts? He says, understand this, my dearly loved brothers, the ones who have been born again or given this new birth by the word of truth understand this you got to be quick to listen quick to hear romans ten seventeen tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god you and i need to hear the word of god with our ears that's why gatherings like this are so important why do you think the scripture says don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some because we need to hear the word of god it's, it's, there is an oral aspect to it. Now, if we were going to take a survey of today's service, there'll be some of you who will walk out the door, and if we gave you a survey and say on a scale of 1 to 10, how powerful was this service in your life? Some of you will circle a 7, 8, 9, or 10. It'll, boy, you know, that message is right to me. Every once in a while, one of you will say, boy, boy, you know what, Pastor, you were speaking to me today. And a couple of, I've heard some people say, I think my wife talked to you this week, or I think my husband talked to you this week, you know. So, you know, and, and because it's very powerful. Other folks will walk out the door and say, I should have slept in. Didn't get anything out of this. Now, whose fault is that? Is that mine? Maybe. But how can you be great with one guy and terrible with another? You know, a lot of it is our readiness to come and to hear, to hear the truth. And so there's a lot of things in this passage to talk about being ready to hear the truth. What, you know, when I was doing denominational work, one of the things I observed about the difference between a living church and a dying church was just this, was a sense of anticipation in worship. When people walked in the door and they sat down and they expected it to be just like last week and they expected to walk out and feel, you know, and, and be the same person they were when they walked in, those churches were dying. The ones when there was a sense of life to it was because those people anticipated. I might get something today. And, and most of that is built upon our own expectations, our preparation to be good listeners. Some of you, you dashed in the door this morning, you know? You got up late, and the kids are whining, and this and that, and the guy's broken down in front of you, and it took too long to pump gas at the gas station. And you get here, and you're kind of scrambled, you know? I mean, the biggest reason I get here somewhere between 8 and 8.15 on Sunday mornings is because when I get here at 8.30 or 8.35, I feel rushed by the time the worship service starts, and I always feel like I preach terribly after that. You know, there's a sense of being ready to listen. And he gives us some great hints here. He gives us four ways that we prepare our soil for the seed that's implanted in us as we hear the Word of God. First thing he says is you've got to be quiet. Universal proverb. If you're talking, you're not listening, right? You just got to be quiet, you know? I mean, one of the best things that God can say to you is sit down, stupid, and shut up. I got something to say to you. <laughs> you know, and, and if you paraphrase it very loosely, that's what he kind of says to Job, isn't it? Sit down and listen to me. You know, you got to be quiet. In addition, you got to be calm. Now, sometimes you can be quiet and not be calm. You know, 
So he starts out to speak, quick to hear, slow to speak. That means be quiet. Then he goes on to say, and be slow to anger. Don't be agitated. Be calm. You know, when you're angry, you're distracted, right? When, when, when you're angry, you're distracted. Over my journey, there have been times that late in the week, a Friday or Saturday, some, some family thing emerges. And it's one of those things that just, you know, it just weighs on your heart. It weighs on your mind. And trying to finish up a sermon and get it out the door is just incredibly painful because my spirit isn't calm. It's agitated, <laughs> you know? I'm concerned, you know? And it's and it's and it's and when you and I are don't create and cultivate an, an arena of calmness in our lives, a place where we are free of distractions, so that we can listen to God, the word doesn't get implanted that well. I mean, you can just look at your own relationships, whether it's a marital relationship or any other kind. When, 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 when you're under stress and you're distracted, your relationships moving apart. I guarantee it. But when you can bring a place of peace some calmness to it, you actually create a venue in which you can start to grow together. It takes calmness. You've got to be slow to speak. You've got to be quiet. Slow to anger. You've got to stay calm. You've got to create an arena where you're not distracted, but you're able to focus on God. Then he says here, as he goes along, he says, rid yourselves of all moral filth and evil excess. So if being quiet and being calm are tilling the soil, so it's ready for the implanting of the seed, then getting rid of the filth and the evil is pulling the weeds out and getting the clumps out and getting the rocks out. That was the part of gardening I hated the most. That's why I no longer have a garden. It's just a sheet of grass out there, you know, because you got, you know, you got to pull all the weeds before you start and you're tilling it over. Then, and then you spend the whole summer just pulling weeds. And I said, I'll just buy the tomatoes at the store. You know, it's just not worth it. But he says here, you know, if you're going to have the word implanted in you, you got to be clean. It's interesting, this word for filth is exactly the word for the stuff that you would get on the end of this when you stick it in here. The word for filth, the Greek word underneath it, they use it to talk about earwax. Earwax is kind of gross, isn't it? It's not like bees. Anyways, get that image off of your mind. Come on back and listen to me, all right, for a minute. So he says, you've got to get rid of the filth and you've got to get rid of the evil. And, and I'm looking at it this way. You've got to get rid of the stuff that stops you from hearing God. And you've got to get rid of all the heavy noise that's out there that makes it hard to hear from God. You've got to get the wax out of your ears so that the voice of God can get in. And you've got to put yourself in an environment where the background noise isn't so loud that you can't even hear one another. That might be great when you're at a stadium, you know, celebrating your team's victory. It's a whole different story when you're trying to sit down and listen to God. He says, you've got to get that stuff out. You know, and, and how is it that you become clean? You know, it's interesting when <laughs> a couple of years ago, Christina and I, we, we redid our basement. It was a reluctant journey for her. She loves the end product. She hates the journey. But we blew up our basement and busted out part of the floor, moved the bathroom and moved the laundry and there was dust everywhere and boxes all over the house, etc. But part of what we did is we changed how you get from the garage into the house so we can use the laundry room as a mud room. You know why we did that? Because we were sick and tired of there being mud all the other places in the house where you really don't want it. I mean, when you go outside and you work, you get dirty. So now we can come into the garage, step into the mud room and just you can just strip right there in the laundry, you know, wrap a towel on yourself and away you go, you know. You're not dragging it in through the basement or coming in through the kitchen door with mud everywhere. You know, you, you're trying to keep the dirt out. How, how do we become clean? I think the biblical word that fits in here is the word confession. And, and, the, and the, the Greek language underneath that in the New Testament has the idea of to say the same word. 
It has the word that homo, which means same, and then the word for word, logo, or logos. And you put those two together, and you get the word confession, to speak the same thing. You and I, we, we, we get clean when we agree with God about what's sin in our life and what's right in our life. And when we agree with God about what, sin's, sin is, what is sin in our life and confess that to God, agree with Him, and we, and we ask God to forgive us, He cleanses us from that stuff. His Word tells us if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we will agree with God about what's sin in our life and ask for His forgiveness, He cleanses us of all that stuff. We've got to get the weeds out so we can hear. Then you've got to be humble. Notice he goes on here. He says, Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil excess, humbly receive the implanted word. Don't have a lot of time to work on this. Let me simply say this. Being humble before the word of God is say, when I figure it out, I'm going to do it. That's what it means to be humble. When I figure it out, I'm going to do it. It means being teachable. That when you get it, you do it. That's what it means to be humble before the word of God. So the first step is we've got to hear it. We hear with our ears. That's what you're doing right now, I hope. But it's not enough. Do you know that as you leave here, within 72 hours, you will forget 95% of what you heard? It's one of the reasons why I give you those sheets every single week. So maybe if you write down some of it, you'll remember it longer than 72 hours. Why do you think you have to tell your kids to do stuff over and over and over and over again? Right? Why do you think those teachers made you sit down and write down, I will not you know, hit Lucy you know, 100 times? Because if you just say it, you know, if you just hear it, after 72 hours, 95% of it's gone. So there's going to be more to it. And the Scripture invites us to do more. We've got to hear it for sure. But we also, we have to read it. We have to read the Word with our eyes. Okay? We've involved the ears, now we're involving the eyes. Bringing all of ourselves to the Word. As you read down here a little bit longer, it says, look at the beginning of verse 25, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law. Let me suggest to you that that idea of looking intently into the Word of God involves reading the Word of God. And I'm not talking about speed reading it, but I'm talking about reading it and reflecting on it, thinking about it, reflecting it. In other words, paying attention to it while you read. I'm not talking about the way sometimes you read the morning paper where you're just kind of looking at the headlines and say, I'm not interested in that kind of thing. But actually reading and trying to understand what the Word is saying to us. We look intently into the Word of God. Now, I know sometimes that can be difficult for people. It's one of the reasons why we are always recommending Bible reading plans to you. Whether it be an aggressive one like reading through the whole Bible in a year, like we do often, or the one we're doing now, the, the deeper, slower, together one that we're doing now, where you know we're just reading the New Testament together, hopefully have a partner who's holding us accountable, and we're reading the Word and trying to dig in. Because we need to be in the Word of God. Part of building our lives on the Word of God is reading the Word of God. You know, he uses here the illustration of a mirror. So not the kind of thing where, you know, you just kind of glance at the mirror and just see, you know, as you tie straight and away you go, but you, you look at the mirror and say, yeah, I got to shave, you know. I mean, there's a difference between just kind of looking at the mirror and seeing your hair straight or like when I'm trimming up my, my goatee, I'm, you know, I'm using, th- I, I'm really looking in the mirror because I don't want to look like a fool or have to cut it all the way off by missing something. You, you know what I mean? You, you're really paying attention. He said, that's the way you're looking into the Word. You're not just taking a glance at it and walking away and forgetting what you look like, but you look at it and you say, boy, this is what's going to be fixed. And with that, you work at getting it fixed. You gaze into the Word of God. You read the Word of God. 
But more than that, you go on to study the Word of God, to really move beyond just the reading of it to the study of it. But look what he says here. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it. Now, there's an interpretive issue here. Do we persevere in the perfect law of freedom or do we persevere in looking intently into the perfect law of freedom? I would suggest it to you that that interpretation is kind of, it's a, it's a mute point. Because there's no way to persevere in the perfect law of freedom if you don't persevere in looking intently into the perfect law of freedom. You know what I'm saying? And, and with that, there's this idea that we're not just reading it, but we're studying it. You know, and look a little further down, he uses this idea of, and there's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer. He, he's talking about digging into it. You know, uh, Jesus, in John chapter 5, verse, 10, verse 10, 19, he talked about the fact that, you know, you search the Scriptures because you believe that in them you find eternal life. And he, he affirms that that's a good thing. He says, your only problem is the Scriptures point to me as the source of, source of eternal life, and you're not ready to accept that. It's a good thing to search the Scriptures. Now, when you were in school, and, and I got th- thinking about this way, what does it really mean to study the Word? And there's lots of different ways we're going to go. And during this journey, we're going to teach you a simple Bible study method called the devotional Bible study method. Now, there are lots of ways to study the Bible. I know that. Rick Warren knows that. So if you want to criticize the one method you're going to learn, that's fine. You can go read his other book where he has 12 different ways to study the Bible. There's lots of ways to study. We're going to teach you a method. But here's what I want you to understand. That a part of studying the Word means that you're using your hands and you're using your mouth. When, when you were a student, your teachers made you write things, didn't they? They'd give you a sheet and you had to write things out. You had to take notes. They'd make you write a paper. Because a part of studying a subject was to write it out, was to express it. And remember those frustrating groups they used to put you in? They'd give you those group projects, you know? It's a lot easier just to do it by yourself often, isn't it? But remember how they used to stick you in those group projects where you had to work on some science experiment together or, you know, put together a... Uh, uh, my, my old youngest son is still in college and he's taking an arts class for his core curriculum up at Gordon. And so, he's in, so he and a couple of his buddies in a group project are supposedly going to lay out the five greatest sports movies ever. That's their project, you know. But they're doing it together as a group, you know, because a part of studying, a part of learning is, is talking about it with other people. When you and I, if we're going to build our lives on the Word, we're going to be people who persevere in doing this and, and looking intently into it. We have to be people who are writing it out and we're talking about it with other people. That's why we're giving you a workbook. That's why we always encourage you to get involved with a life group. Because you need to be with other people talking about the Word of God. Educators have known this forever. That in order to study a subject, you not only need to read about it, you need to not only research it out, but you've got to write it down and you've got to talk with others about it. Why do you think they make you do those oral presentations in class? Because you have to learn how to talk about it to really understand it. So you've got to study the Word with both your hands and with your mouth. Uh, you know, many of you are says, I'm done with school. <laughs> right? I mean, you say, I finished. I got my degree. I don't want to study no more. You know, from the sounds of that statement, I can usually go back to school and learn a little bit better good grammar, right? You know, let me say, and say I, I don't want to do all this work, you know. Listen, we're talking about what does it take to live a life that's blessed by God. I wish I could tell you it was easier, but we're talking about what does it take to build our lives in the Word so we live lives that can be blessed by God. It's worth the effort. A couple more things, then we'll be done. You read, you hear the Word, you read the Word, you study the Word, you reflect on the Word, and you remember the Word. This whole idea here of perseveres in it and not forgetting. 
is this idea of, of continuing to, to be in the Word of God. You, you read it, and you think about it, you reflect on it, and at times you memorize it, and you move forward. There, there are two things we're going to emphasize in this study. Both of them are going to be variable, very doable. One of those is the memorization of Scripture. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. i got to tell you, every time that I've gotten trapped in a major sin, I didn't have a Bible with me. If I had more of the Word of God hidden in my heart, I would have had the Word with me. If you're going to live a blessed life, you've got to have the Word memorized. Now, many of you say, I can't memorize nothing. Well, I can memorize the McDonald's menu. I'm just, no, I'm only kidding. You know, you can memorize. Your brains were shaped by God to be able to memorize stuff. And the more you work at it, the better you're going to get at it. But we're going to give you some puppy verses to start. But it's going to involve some memorization. It just has to. But it's also going to involve meditation. Meditating on the Word of God. You know, Joshua, he, when he was commanded, he says, listen, don't let the book of, this, of the law move out of your head, and I want you to meditate on it day and night. Now, we're not talking about getting you in some position that's going to stretch out your quad so much that you're not going to be able to stand up the next day and stand around going, um, um. That's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about a way where you, you reflect, you, you work through the Scriptures in your mind over and over and over again. So God begins to bring some special understanding to you. But it, it, it takes the review and the, and the reflection and the remembering of the Word of God to be people who build our lives on the Word of God. We have to not be a forgetful hearer. Then there's one last emphasis. This was, comes up in verse 22 of James. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You hear it, you read it, you study it, you reflect on it and remember it, and then you do it. You practice it. You do it. Being a people who build our lives on the Word of God so that we have the compass on how to stay in sync with God, to live lives that are blessed by God. Where the promised land is abundant living means that we are people who practice the Word with our actions. we got our ears, we got our eyes, we got our hands, we got our mouths. Now we got our minds and we got now all of our lives are engaged. That's why here at, at Hope, over and over again on the back of your cards, your connection cards, we always have a next step for you to take. What do you need to do about what you've heard today? What's the next step that you need to take? Because building our lives on the Word is an action. It's not a thought. It's not a principle. Except it's something we do. It's something we practice. Now, let me try to illustrate it this way. And this idea of, of a hand illustration is not new with me. Numbers of people have used it around the year. But let's just think about your pinky is hearing the Word. Your ring finger is reading the Word. Your middle finger as studying the Word. This is the index finger, right? <laughs> the index finger as, as remembering and reflecting on the Word and your thumb as doing the Word. Now, if you're just hearing the Word, you might have some kind of a grip on the Word, but it's not that great. If you're, if you're hearing the Word and reading it, you've got a little better grip. If you're hearing it, reading it, and studying it, you've got even a better grip. If you're hearing it, reading it, studying it, reflecting and remembering it, memorizing Scripture, you've got a, a firm grip. But when you start doing it, then you've got an incredible grip on the Word of God. And that's how you build your life on the Word of God. And that's why we're launching the next 10 years of Hope Chapel with a study in the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, I know there are many here this morning who've made a commitment for the very first time to be a part of a 40 days group, to be in a life group. 
God, I pray you'd honor those commitments today. That what happens over the next six to seven weeks, really, Father, in many ways would be nothing short of miraculous. They build new friendships, develop new spiritual skills, come to a deeper understanding and appreciation for your word. God, our people who are able to build their lives on the word. We ask you to bless those who are going to be leading these groups, hosting them. God, work through them and make a huge difference in our lives. God, for those of us this morning who are ready to make for the very first time or to renew our commitment to building our lives on the word, we ask you to honor those commitments. God, indeed, let it be that we are people who are blessed because we do these things. Father, if there are those here this morning who, as a part of their very first really encounter with you, they're confessing their need for you and inviting Christ into their life as their Savior and their Lord, as the only one who can redeem and begin to clean the things out of their lives so they can truly hear from you and experience eternal life in their own lives. God, we pray that that transformation would be complete and that you would save them based upon who Christ is. God, we honor you today because you are a God who has a heart to bless your people. We pray in the name of the greatest indication of that, Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. Amen.